Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. We invite you to be here, to speak to us through your holy scriptures. Jesus, would we get a better glimpse of who you are in this time, Lord? We love you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I thought I was going to have to do a quick sermon rewrite on the spot here. (laughs) So I'm glad we read the Luke gospel. Uh, But good morning. It's so good to be with you all. Happy Memorial Day. Happy kickoff to summer. My name is Katie Wilson, and I am a fellow over on the west side. And I feel so grateful to be with you today, to get to worship together and read scripture, and to be here particularly on this day, a feast day, the feast of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I was actually with you guys a little while ago, back at the start of Advent, and as I was reflecting on this, it feels really special that I was with you as we began to celebrate the arrival of Jesus here on earth. And now I get to be with you as we get to celebrate his ascension. It feels really special. And this day, the Feast of the Ascension is one of the principal feasts in the Anglican Church. And I think I shared this with you last time that I didn't grow up in a liturgical church. I had no idea that we had a feast day of the Ascension. I didn't know we had a feast day for Pentecost. And because of this, I think most of my life, I kind of brushed past the Ascension. Because as we know, we know Good Friday. We know Jesus dying on the cross, bearing our sin and shame. And we know Easter Sunday, we know the resurrection where he rises from the dead, the first fruit of all creation and that the promise that we will rise. And then he leaves, and then there's Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes and descends like tongues of flame. And that's kind of how I've viewed it, where the ascension is only like a segue between the resurrection and Pentecost. But what I think that we get to talk about today is that the Feast of the Ascension is more than a segue between the resurrection and Pentecost. Our church fathers clearly thought this was the case because the ascension is included in the creed that we read every week that says he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. And we have this whole feast day. So clearly it's important. And today what I wanna do together is walk through the story of the ascension that we get in the gospel of Luke and also in Acts. And then we're gonna turn to that Ephesians passage that we read and let St. Paul help us unpack what the ascension means. So as we heard in our readings this morning, Luke, being the author, obviously, of both Luke and Acts, tells the story of the ascension twice, which is particularly interesting to me because the details are even different in both stories. But what I think it says to us is that Luke thought the ascension was important to include it at the very end of his gospel and the beginning of the book of Acts. And what the gospel tells us is that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And like the disciples, most of the time they were confused. And Jesus shows them his hands and his feet and his resurrected body. And he eats with them. And then as we read, Jesus begins to walk them through the narrative of scripture. From Moses to the prophet in the Psalms to his death and resurrection. And the disciples, Acts tells us, ask him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time when 
everyone will know that we win? Is this the time that the victory will be made clear to everyone? And we see at this point, the disciples still don't quite get it. They don't still quite get that the power of Jesus isn't the power to rule in the way that they've imagined. And what Jesus tells them is he says, I will send you power, but that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his promise, that the Holy Spirit will come. As, as I'm sure we'll talk about next week in the Feast of the Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit is a different kind of power. It's a different kind of power than the disciples imagined. It's this power that Jesus said is to spread the good news to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to all the ends of the earth. And the disciples will grasp this soon, just they weren't quite here yet. Um, and then the gospel tells us that Jesus brings his disciples out to Bethany, which is near the Mount of Olives, which if, if we remember, the Mount of Olives is the place where Jesus began his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the way to the cross. And it's in the same place that Jesus makes his triumphal entry into heaven. And while Jesus is there, the text tells us that he lifts his hands and he blesses the people. The last thing that we hear Jesus do on earth is he blesses his disciples, which I love. I love that the last thing wasn't an instruction, but a blessing. And the text tells us that while Jesus is blessing them is when he ascends to the Father. While he is blessing them, he ascends to the Father. And the disciples, their response is to worship Jesus, to be filled with joy, so they go back to the temple and bless God. And what's interesting to me is the disciples didn't worship Jesus after the resurrection. They were confused. They didn't really know what was going on. But when Jesus ascends to the Father is when they worship him, is when they're filled with joy. Because what the disciples know at that point is that Jesus has ascended to the Father. And I don't think Luke tells us this story to be to show Jesus having this really cool exit. You know, it's not like Jesus had uh, rockets coming out of his shoes and like a superhero. Like, I don't think that was the point that Luke was trying to communicate. I think what Luke was trying to tell us was that Jesus was entering into heaven. And heaven not being just this place beyond the clouds, but heaven being this this different place, this different kind of dimension that is not as far away as we think. And that it's when Jesus enters into heaven that he is on the throne, seated at the right hand of the Father. That he is embodied in heaven, that he is the king of kings. And what I think the disciples realize is that the Jesus who they know, the Jesus who is good and kind and compassionate, that Jesus is the one who rules. That Jesus is the one who reigns. And I think that is why these disciples are filled with such joy and they worship Jesus. And I want us to turn to Paul in Ephesians where he kind of helps us tease this out a little more. And as I sat with Paul and his words in Ephesians and sat with the story of the gospel, three things in particular stood out to me. 
And the first one is that Jesus is above all power and authority. Jesus is above all power and authority. Paul tells us, God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Jesus is king. All things on heaven and earth are under him. The same Jesus that came to earth as a baby, the same Jesus who died on a cross and was erected is in his rightful place. He's exalted to the highest place, the name above all names on the throne in heaven. And and Paul uses this language that all things are under his feet. All other things are inferior to him. His power has the ultimate authority. And that's why the disciples can have joy because it is this Jesus who they know and love who has this ultimate authority. That's why they leave filled with joy. And that's why we are invited to be filled with joy. But I don't know about some of you, but as I've looked around the world recently, it's been hard to feel joy. It's been hard to read about the war in Ukraine about the shootings in Buffalo, New York, and then about this week in particular in Uvalde. And I know I'm not the only one here who has felt the heaviness of that, who has shed tears and and wept for these families who've lost their children. And I know I'm not the only one who has seen this deep evil And my heart hurts for these families, for this community that is reeling from this. And as I was thinking about this, especially in light of this week, I was crying out to Jesus being, how am I supposed to preach a sermon that you are in control of all, that you are on the throne when this happens? How am I supposed to preach that you have all authority and dominion when this happens, when this kind of thing in Uvalde happens. And as I sat with these texts and sat in prayer, I, was, I felt really met by the Lord that it actually feels like a grace that we're talking about his ascension today because I need to be reminded that Jesus is on the throne I have to believe that he's on the throne. I have to believe that he has all power and authority. I have to believe that. And I have to believe that the same Jesus who's on the throne was the same Jesus who wept at the tomb of his friend. The same Jesus who is close to the brokenhearted. The same Jesus who weeps with these families in Uvalde. And I think it's particularly in weeks like this where we need even more hope, where we need to believe even more when the world doesn't look like it, the world doesn't look like Jesus is on the throne. And how do we reconcile that he is on the throne and evil happens? And I don't have a great way to reconcile that for us. I don't have a way to reckon for that. But what I do know and believe with every fiber in my being is that he is on the throne and he is good, that he has ultimate power. Evil doesn't have ultimate power. And 
over on the west side, we, I've been walking with these group of women through something we call story group, where over the course of a couple of months, we, as a group, share a story, and we invite the Holy Spirit in and, and unpack it together and invite the Holy Spirit to move us towards healing. And there's this one particular woman in my group who has just experienced incredible trauma and pain and hurt. And there was this one week where we were saying, before our next meeting, what would it look like to invite Jesus to sit with you in your story? What would it look like to listen to what Jesus has to say to your story? And we, we came back the next week and we were all discussing it. And this woman was telling us that as she was sitting with Jesus that week, sitting in her painful and hard story, that she heard Jesus say that to have hope is the bold defiance of evil. That to have hope is the bold defiance of evil. And our whole group, we went silent. It, it was kind of this moment of holy silence because if anyone shouldn't have hope, if anyone should believe that evil wins, it's her who has experienced evil. But to have hope is the bold defiance of evil. And I, I can't get that out of my head. I can't get that out of my head when we've seen evil this week. When I'm sure some of us have experienced evil in our life. And to have hope and to believe that Jesus is on the throne, that he is above all power and all dominion, to believe that is the bold defiance of evil. It's the bold defiance of evil. And that doesn't mean we don't mourn and weep and lament. We have to do that. As a culture, we try to move past that too quickly. We have to mourn and we have to lament. To hope isn't to ignore reality. Rather, to, to hope is to face evil square in the face and say, you don't win. You don't win because Jesus is on the throne. You don't. To look it square in the face and say, hope wins. And we can only do that. We can only have that hope through the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us that he is in authority. And I think when we think about Jesus in heaven on the throne, sometimes we can think as, of him as someone who's just far off. And that brings me to my second thought for us today is that Jesus is present in a new way and abides with his church. Just because Jesus ascended into heaven doesn't mean that he is far away in the sky, uninvolved, or doesn't care about what's happening here. Rather, Jesus is present in a new way. And I don't know about any of you, but I've sometimes had that thought where it's like, if I'm praying to Jesus and you're praying to Jesus and we're all praying at the same time, how does he hear us? Like each of us. And I think as a kid, I kind of imagined it as like a telephone line where if I'm praying to Jesus, your line must be busy because I'm talking to him. And what I think we learn from the ascension is that when Jesus was physically here on earth and you wanted to talk to him, you had to be in the room. You had to be in the place where Jesus was to talk to him. But because he ascended to the throne as an embodied in heaven, 
he's present in a new and different way that I can be talking to Jesus and you can be talking to Jesus. That when he ascended, he sent the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think John talked last week about how the Trinity is like a dance and that we're invited into this dance. And I think in this dance of the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit helps us to be present to Jesus in a new way, to be present with the Father. And because Jesus is still present in heaven, he cares deeply about the things of this world. That in heaven, he wants to continue the work that he began, to continue the kingdom. He cares about the healing of the world. He cares about breaking the power of sin in our lives. He cares about the poor and the brokenhearted. He cares about the hungry. And the ascension to the throne means Jesus can bring his kingdom in a new way. And the way that Jesus, in a crazy way to me, chooses to do that is through the church, is through us. And it's only through him, as Paul says, that who is the head of the church who fills all, but he uses us. That Jesus abides with the church, is present in the church. That even though he is on the throne, he's not far. Even though he's on the throne, he is intimately present with us. And because he is intimately present with us, that means we're invited to be a part of it. And that's the last thing I want to share together is that because of this, Jesus invites us to live by his power. Because if Jesus is on the throne and he's present, that has to mean something. That has to mean something for the way that I live my life. And the way it matters is that it, we get to live by his power. And again, this isn't the same power of the world, which is a power that oppresses and abuses and manipulates and murders. The power from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit, is a different kind of power. It's a power that serves and loves. It's a power that gives us the ability to be the church, to be the kinds of people we are meant to be, to be the people who can live into his kingdom and live as if Jesus is really on the throne. We're invited into that kind of power, that he is Lord of all. And as I've been thinking about that and thinking about my life, I've been asking myself the questions, will, will I be the kind of people or kind of person who lives with Christ in me to bring his kingdom to bear? Will I be the kind of person that lives my life like I really believe that Jesus is on the throne? And I, I think that's a question for us all to ask. What does it mean for you that Jesus is on the throne? How is he asking you to live by his power? Because guys, it has to matter. It has to matter for the way we live, that he is in control and an authority and intimately close to us that he sends his Holy Spirit and we get to receive that power. And because of Jesus's ascension, we can, this is a joyful day. This is a joyful day because regardless of what the world looks like it, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's intimately close and he invites us to live into this kingdom with him. And we're gonna take a few minutes 
a silence before we come to the table. But I wanna end by reading again those words from Ephesians, by reading that chunk from Paul. Paul says, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.